Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that panel members are expressing their own views and opinions, which should not be construed as advice. The audience must carry out their own research and consult an appointed professional for advice. Hello everyone, and today I'm joined by an amazing panel, and we're here to talk about how commercial and residential developments can work better together. I'm your host for today. I'm Adewale Ademelake. I'm a senior development manager, chartered surveyor, and I'm also the founder of A Lake, who is sponsoring this season's of the Property Development Book Club. So, firstly, Hugh, can you please introduce yourself, and we'll go around this way. So, over to you, Hugh. Hi there. I'm Hugh McEwen. I'm an architect, uh, and in our firm, we specialise in working with a 50/50 split of public and private clients. Perfect. I'm Hattie Walker-Arnott. I'm a chartered surveyor by background, used to work in commercial investment and development, and I'm now working in a prop tech startup. My name is Paul Chidi Modu. I'm an investment surveyor advising private clients on the acquisition of and disposal of commercial real estate across the UK and Europe. I am Kazina Falavi. I work across arranging financing for developers, property companies, or any clients who need money to be able to fund whatever they want to do in real estate. Um, I am Ajay, uh, I'm a chartered quantity surveyor, uh, regional director at Chorus. Um, we work with residential as well as um, commercial clients, um, helping them to realise their projects, bring them to completion. Perfect, and thank you all for your introductions. So now I'm just going to dive straight into the first question. Um, as everyone knows, a lot of the developments that are within the UK are mixed use, so there will be an element of residential as well as commercial. And this whole conversation today is just to like expand on it and as to whether mixed-use development works or whether there's a new way of doing things. So the first question I, I want to project to Paul. The question is, do you feel mixed-use development, do you think mixed-use developments are better than single-use developments? And single-use I mean is wholly residential, wholly commercial, wholly office, etc. What do, what do you think about that? Okay, cool. Um, well, I think mixed-use developments, I think, um, first from a vertical, which is your retail on the ground floor and your resi uppers, and it could also be horizontal and I think mixed use developments where it's expressed across different buildings. So that could be your office space, that could be um, your retail, your, your, your um, uh, storage space, all sorts of things put together in one uh, development. Now to your question on do I think it's better, um, I think we have no choice now. I think we're, we're in the in an environment and a space now where we want choice, we want the ability to uh, think about the different options on our doorsteps. Um, when I look at, you know, especially in, in, in history and the development of shopping centres, it was single use and fast forward today, it's, it's, it's not working and it almost feels like we're retrospectively going back to correct uh, some of that, I won't call it mistakes, but you know, evolving with the times. And mm-hmm. you know, we've seen many a times now where shopping centre landlords are speaking with, mm-hmm. with residential developers and, and mm-hmm. thinking to make it more mixed use. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's where we are at the moment, and um, it, it's the buzzword at the moment. No, I really, I really love the fact that you gave a historical backdrop because I understand in the 80s, and there's a book that me and Hattie have read called The Property Boom. Oh, really? Most of the bigger <laughs> developers at a point in time were very much focused on um, shopping centre developers, Correct. developments. Um, so when you mention around retrospectively resolving it, Elephant and Castle is a clear example of, I won't class it as a, as a failure at this point, but there was a point where in that book it mentioned how much of a failure it was. 
due to its location and due to it being a single use and due to it being far away from other communities. Right. So it is a very good point that you raised there. Um, so Hugh, I want to move over to yourself and I want to ask, from a design perspective, um, do you feel that mixed use developments work over the long term? And what do you think? Yeah, I think there's. I think there are lots of benefits to them. You know, I think that they offer um, obviously more variety, more more um, you know uses in one location, um, and they do uh, you know especially in the kind of I think in the short term answer issues which um, single use developments sometimes create. So uh, typically, ground floors are quite difficult spaces. You know, for uh, for residential led schemes, those 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 ground floor flats uh, are often quite difficult to plan because usually they've got kind of uh, amenity uses behind them, mm -hmm. so they may end up becoming a single aspect. They're obviously on the pavement or they're set back from the pavement, so they are maybe in, in kind of, you know, less uh, you know, nice locations. Um, and so kind of replacing, the, replacing ground floors with uh, commercial units often becomes kind of a way of of animating that facade and making sure that you've got uh, a better use uh, for that for that location. Um, but then on the flip side of that, those spaces we're finding kind of sometimes aren't rented, aren't being used, mm -hmm. and they're then leading to an even worse problem, which is just these dead facades on that on the on the ground floor. Um, so sometimes I think mixed use schemes can specifically answer kind of design issues, but other times they're leading to their own problems. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think there's a term that is very popular in the, in the, in the design industry around active frontages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all of our developers in here would hear that all the time. And active frontage is just making sure that there's activity in every corner of your building. And what that does is mitigate crime, allows that there's activity and there's life happening in your scheme. So thank you very much for giving us um, that perspective. Now, this now moves over to someone or a group of people that may have lived in the city. So I want to ask the question, do you want to live where you work? And this is not about the COVID restrictions of having to work from home. I'm saying that if, there is, if you are in a city, do you want to live in a, in a similar location to where you work yeah. from a mixed use point of view? So, Hattie, over to you. <laughs> well, I must admit, I had a very lucky period of my life where um, I was living um, very close to my work like a let's say 20 20 minute walk which in London is pretty pretty close and it was amazing like being able to walk everywhere and have everything that you need in your day-to-day -day life like on your doorstep um it it did feel really luxurious I felt very fortunate to be in that position um but at the same time in it, it was like in the heart of central London and it can get quite like you know, you never feel like you have breathing space, you never feel like you have fresh air. Um, and so I think actually on balance, whilst that was like quite a fun, short period of my life, I would actually much rather settle somewhere that I had, um, like a, se a, a separation between between work and home and um, a bit more, yeah, outdoor space and fresh air. Yeah, because I think that um, there's this whole thing around people working in the city, living in the city, and everyone sees that as a good thing, but we never tend to speak to people that have a totally different experience to one in separation from where they live and work. So I'm very happy to hear that. But what, yeah. what do you think is in? I think it also depends on what stage of your life you are, right? Yeah. If you're younger and you feel like you can live in an area where it's booming in the city that you're in, if you, for example, living in New York, for example, where 
it's the concrete jungle for a reason, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have everything that you may even ever want or require is on your doorstep and you can mm-hmm. walk. Um, if you then go later down in your life where you maybe, maybe you have kids and you have, you know, what's now important to you is where the kids go to school or where, um, you know, the community centers are so that you can ha- build your hub, then it becomes less important, right? And it becomes more important to have space and outdoor space and larger areas so that you can live um, and in some cases, if you then have a workplace that is um, close to that, that's actually more positive. Mm-hmm. So I think that going, one thing that COVID-19 has taught everybody is the flexibility is the, is the key word, right? It's the cornerstone. So if you have flexibility to be able to work from wherever you are and you can do your hub um, in terms of whether you, your kids go to school or uh, where your side hustles are, whatever it is that you know, your daily interactions are, and in some cases, you then have the ability to go into the center of the city and, you know, the hustle and bustle and everything else that's going on. I think that sort of complementary um, and flexibility is something that people desire. Yeah, no, and, I, and I like your perspective on that. And I think that ages and stages, different requirements, kids, all the stuff that you mentioned, I think is quite important. But maybe uh, some people maybe never want to grow up, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> If you can afford it and you have like a mansion living in Mayfair, then what? That is a really good point because mm. it's about choice. Mm. It's, mm. The problem actually, frankly, is at the moment we don't have actually affordable housing centrally so people can't make that choice yeah, so like yeah. if you want to like live that hustle bustle lifestyle or if you want to be more chilled yeah well, most of us are forced to live chilled less because <laughs> we can't afford to live in Mayfair <laughs> but, but, um, but I think another word that we're missing here is, is carbon footprint yeah um, the idea that we're not utilizing other modes of transport we're actually walking or cycling to our workplace so mm-hmm. the reason why we're also seeing big btr schemes at the heart of, of and the btr of stands for built to rent built to rent um, perfect <laughs> um, the reason why we're seeing big btr schemes popping up at uh, prominent locations is because of that working living and playing within a close confinement and uh, it enables people to walk to work and enjoy the fresh air and and also play and, and and meet up with different people. So I see a lot of positives with it. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we will be relying on driving to work, which again, when we're thinking about some of our carbon emission goals, um, that's obviously at odds to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're seeing City Khan um, implementing new layers and wanted to expand it. So I would prefer actually to live in places where I can walk to work um, rather than driving to it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the definition of going to work is, is slightly changed as well. So um, yes, COVID kind of accelerated it, but uh, I think it goes more to Kazim's point. You know, people more so want the, the, the local amenities around them. If you are going to work, you probably want, um, I know a number of big firms are looking at satellite offices now. So rather than just having everyone come into central London, you know, you've got satellite offices near where you work. So. Where, where you work <laughs> is now being redefined so it doesn't actually mean central London so mm-hmm. as long as you have right. those local amenities etc um, I think that's more important now more so than being sat at work because yeah. you know you might only be going in two days a week yeah. uh, rather than you know ha- how you did previously so um, I think on the topic of offices and housing as um, Kazim has kindly segued us into that direction 
Kazim, this next question is for you. So if office demand decreases, will more offices convert to residential? And what is your view on that? I think it's actually similar. The answer I'll give is similar to the previous question. I think that flexibility is becoming more and more important. And there's it's clear that there's a shortage of housing in the UK, in London, right? How do you plug that gap? Over the last year or so, 18 months at least, the thesis around offices has flipped and flopped. And depending on what side of the coin you're at, you know, some people and some strategies and funds that we work with have said, you know what, we're going to buy regional offices or offices around because we believe that there's going to be a displacement of people and funders and people who are thinking, you know what, I'm not going back to the office, tech firms who are, you know, going to work from home. And people, um, there's going to be a discount to be able to purchase these offices in the next five years. The thesis is that actually these buildings, you can repurpose into whatever you want. So having the freehold, having the real estate at your disposal, you can convert that to whatever the flavor of that month is. And then you can sell it at a cap rate of, you know, pure displacement and, and, and you, you essentially shrink that, that investment period. And, and you're seeing it not just in resi and commercial, you're seeing it across pretty much every asset class. You look mm-hmm. at the boom of industrial over the last sort of 10 years, right? Industrial, everybody used to think that, you know, it's the boring surveyor guys who, 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 who are, uh, who, who are industrial surveyors. But look, I mean, these are literally the hottest tickets guys at the moment, right? Guys and girls. And so I think that the ability to adapt, the ability to be flexible with the spaces that you can create, um, whether it be commercial to resi and vice versa, whether it be last mile logistics, whether it be the, the booming asset class at the moment, which offices, for example, life sciences, they've just created a new asset class, whereas it's just an office with a wet lab, mm-hmm. right? And you see yield compression happening because of that flavor changing. So. I think that developers and, and the ability, and depending on where you are, you need to be able to be flexible. Mm. Obviously in different zones, planning and um, your change of use needs to essentially reflect that. Mm. And so I think that as councils are growing and as people are getting more educated and spaces are becoming less defined, the importance is for us to be nimble and adapt to where there's a housing shortage, we have excess of commercial space, you know, the onus is really on the councils to be able to say, look, we have uh, this space that we, we can make it easier for you guys to change your use and plug that gap. And yeah. we can adapt as we go along to be able to plug the gap where the where the demand cries. And, and, and I like the fact that you mentioned that the planning case for it, because I'm, I know that um, both Hattie and Paul I think you guys, when, when we spoke um, separately, there was a talk around the whole permitted development right. element that came out last year. And if, if I don't know if either of you are comfortable just explaining, because I've, I've got it done, I've got the key headways, it needs to have been vacant for three months, yeah? And you can only convert 1,500 square metres, yeah? Um, to change it from office to residential. So my question then is, in your both of your views, are you seeing or have you seen a large uptake of people converting offices to residential? I, I can answer that one. So yeah. I think what you've just explained is the, the recent change that took place in August 2021. Yeah. Um, so prior to that, um, the 
the ability to convert office to residential, it was limitless. It wasn't 1,500 square meters, it was, it was whatever. Um, now, since then, to your answer, that market is dead. Mm. Under permissive development rights, because 1,500 square meters, I've got clients who tell me, we just can't make, make it work. Um, ideally, they wanted 50,000 square feet office buildings to be able to do that. Now, partly I do understand why the government has actually put those restrictions in place, mm -hmm. uh, largely the qualities and the standards of, of offices which have been converted into residential uh, were often subpar, and they, they had to do something about it. Um, another thing was the fact that the loss of employment um, use um, in, in some boroughs was so significant that um, you, you've lost a whole generation of, of council tax income, every, or, or, a lot of things, business rates. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, now, yes, the reason why they were conversing in the first place was because it was deemed an eyesore, or, or in some cases, just not usable. Um, but in other cases, there were tenants in there, um, but the value of, of resi stacked up more than the existing commercial use. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Going back to your, your point on, on what's going on and, and my views, I, I don't think there is a market um, f for that, or it's certainly not going to be as bubbling um, given the, the recent changes. Okay. We're talking about the office to resi, so right. I'm going a bit off key here. Uh, <laughs> and as we've got Hattie sitting in the middle there, um, I do think there's also a, another shift uh, in the office space. Um, so it's not as significant as changing use class, but even in the office offering, right? So mm -hmm. I think I think we're seeing a change from a, um, large corporates taking the whole building uh, to now a bit a bit more flexible um, working. Um, you know, we've seen the, the re rise of of of, of, yeah. of, of we were. So hi, mm -hmm. uh, do you just want to talk on where you're seeing? that in the office space, so I'm sorry, I know it's a detail. No, that's fine, that's just a helpful yeah, thing. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting, we, um, so what we actually have seen is that there is still, um, for when teams are getting together, it is still demand for central London, because no matter what, like, people have moved out are actually more dispersed than they were previously and therefore if you want to get 20 people together it is still most logical to be in central London where um, it, there is a, an increase and definitely a new market is in the local workspace world so some of these um, sort of empty units at the bottom of Resi I do expect will be converted to workspaces yeah. so people can just drop down from their like their flat and yeah. just be in a different environment and be around a couple of different people and just <clears throat> just adds a, a nicer kind of rhythm to your work day I agree yeah and um, so we we are seeing that um, there's some problems there though in terms of who actually pays for that because a lot of individuals don't want to pay for their service charge and they don't want to pay more yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll, I think that's something that is starting to like, um, it, it's starting to uh, work itself is, out. Is that more so because I've got an office and I can work from the office, therefore yeah. I don't want to pay for supplementary office space that through your personal money on yeah. yeah, and it's, it's that, it's the psychology, it's mm. like your company pays for your office, mm. right? Mm. Is how it feels it should be. So mm. unless people have like, I, some companies have given individuals budgets of three hundred pounds a month, say, and then they can go, which which is actually working quite well. Mm -hmm. But it's very it's very like bitty and yeah. ad hoc. Mm -hmm. So I think it needs to, um, yeah. Well, no, that's that that is helpful because I I remember I was working in a development which was for private rent, one hundred percent private rent, 
And in short, we were considering whether we have a residence lounge so that office, um, residents can use it as, an, as a flexible workspace. Mm-hmm. But um, whether that's going to happen or not is a totally different question because of the management implications. Right. means that you've got insurance, you've got people that can let friends in. There's all types of stuff that you just need to consider. Mm-hmm. From a, so it's not something that you can just add on to a development. It's something that you have to think about from the beginning because um, just because I think it works, when you get um, a, a company that's going to manage that asset over the long term, it may create many logistical challenges for them managing that and then apportioning service yeah. charge to the people that actually use it versus the people that don't. That is where it gets complicated and I don't think I haven't seen many answers to that type of issue at the moment. But out of interest, what was the alternative? So the alternative okay. is um, uh, the alternatives is that you just have um, A3. Right. right. Simple. Just a standard retail on the ground floors right? and then maybe yeah and have a smaller residence lounge where people can sit down maybe say a lot of friends and leave but that whole working from the ground floor that element I don't believe um, the case probably doesn't stack up strongly right yeah I have a slightly different view and sorry to drag on this point yeah Um, I was inspecting a a West End building it was about 40-50 million pounds and we were on the ground floor and um, one of the discussions were do we put a gym in there or do we put a workspace? And for the first time, we were actually nudging towards a workspace mm-hmm. rather than a gym because the gym has always been a nice thing to have. But in practice, it probably didn't have the facilities as you know in, comp- in comparison to a proper gym. Mm-hmm. And so people would say they want a gym, but then in at any given time, there's probably only one mm-hmm. or two people actually using it. And so for the first time, actually, we were swaying towards workspaces, um, largely because we think people want them and, and it's something now that we're, we're in advanced stages of that and we're looking to implement that now. Yeah. To what extent though, does it just come back to how much it costs versus how much revenue, yeah. like just pure financial de- decision like you probably that makes X rent on workspace versus yeah. Y and gym. Well, well, I think it's in the, it's, it's a, I, I'm not looking at it from a revenue perspective. The reason being is it's an additional perk. Same reason that it's not a gym operator that's coming in, it's, it's just, literally uh, treadmills and part of your service service charge correct so um, if it was a gym operator then it's a a slightly different matter and and of course you can then compare it to do you put co-working operator in there as well but this is simply um, comparing treadmills and and a few desks and 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 some plugs because you know one just just on that point I'm glad that you raised that I know that you mentioned in central London right that case may not be applicable in outer parts of London because you know sometimes um, when we look at this whole mixed use question we see that it works well in certain locations but it doesn't work well in other locations but hopefully that will be part of the questions that we're going to get to shortly but um, the next question I have today is um, this is mainly for Hugh because um, Hugh would be the architect or the award-winning architect <laughs> that will basically um, look at a scheme from Reba State Zero and try to establish a business case mm. as to what form of development should take place in the location. So the question I have for you, Hugh, is based on what you know of the market today, what combination of uses do you feel mix well together in today's market? Yeah, I, th- I think this kind of comes back to the, you know, my earlier kind of point about these these dead ground floors as well mm-hmm. is that actually having something that has a lot more kind of amenity value could be I think a much more positive use for those yeah. spaces because I think you know we are seeing uh, you know um, challenging retail environments we're seeing the kind of you know ongoing problems on the high street yeah and I think that 
you know, to, to kind of keep going down that route is, is really difficult. Um, but actually looking kind of more widely at what mixed use could constitute would be really exciting. Mm -hmm. you know, I think we just touched on, um, on industry and we're seeing schemes which are mixing industry and, uh, and housing mm -hmm. over in, over in, over in Barker. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting to kind of see uses which would typically not be seen as complementary actually starting to kind of work together and, and make 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 you know sense on site. And it is those kind of new opportunities that technology is starting to kind of realise about deliveries, about dark kitchens, about you know um, other other forms of you know that we haven't imagined yet of kind of how we might actually need these these spaces to kind of be working. And I think that's a really interesting opportunity. I think the other the other one is much more around um, around community uses and things that could actually be a bit more kind of flexible yeah. and actually that you know that um, there can be spaces given over to things that don't have to be commercially minded as well I agree um, yeah. you know you know obviously like most, most you know large developments um, have contributions for affordable housing and there can be other structures you know uh, around no, affordable workspace yeah yeah and, and I think these are ways that then you can actually have something that has you know really quite different a really quite different view on that mixed use okay thank you um thanks for that Hugh and I think that's a good point does anyone else got have um Hattie have you got any opinions and then I would also like to like, I think that it might be a question very very briefly but ask everyone to just answer that so what combinations do you think work well from a mixed use point of view. And it doesn't always have to be residential, it could be another use class. But let's not, let's say residential and <laughs> yeah, what else? Yeah. And then if we can go around very briefly, if that's all right. Yeah, I, I think it comes down uh, ultimately to design. So if we think about like some of the Victorian um, buildings which have resident which have retail on the ground floor and then resi up above some of them have completely failed mm -hmm. and um, those might now be converted into resi which is quite um, like a blank street frontage yeah but some of them have really like stood the test of time and have uh, maintained their um, their use I I personally think that that's a I think some kind of mixed use is is much better um, I don't believe in the beds and sheds. That's something we haven't touched on yet, but I know there was a lot of talk about that. I personally can't see... Can you explain that concept very briefly? Well, I don't know what beds and sheds are. Beds Maybe. and sheds... <laughs> was the idea that you would... Because if you think how industrial units are generally just quite one level, yeah. so could you have um, residential above with an industrial unit on the ground I th floor? Yeah, I, I think that that is probably a big opportunity in London. And I know that in the, the borough or a borough, I'm not going to mention the borough, but they're very keen to progress stuff like that. Interesting. Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah because I, we, we have, you know, like at the moment, you have to always remember that we are in a... Covid has done something for Amazon, as everyone can appreciate. And whatever it's done for Amazon has meant that there is a need for industrial space. And I think everyone appreciates that. So I think because of that, that whole beds and sheds, it creates an opportunity for people to have transport hubs in communities yeah and that actually comes to your point of sustainability as well but again like they just have to be so thoughtfully designed because you don't want to be like with your pram mm. taking your baby into a building comes in. yeah <laughs> exactly and, so and, and their considerations which you know they're the constraints you know? yeah you, you want, you want yeah, noise, big vibration vibrations coming around where, where, where 
in a really residential area. So there's challenges, but I know that there are a number of developers who are. But the, um, just as a heads up to everyone, I think Amazon are very keen to study this particular point, just for your information. I won't go into too much detail. When the camera cuts off, I'll explain to you what they're doing. Hopefully you enjoyed. Actually, I know you've enjoyed what you're watching. So please like, share and subscribe. I'm Adewale Ademalake, founder at A Lake, which specializes in property development and development management. We are sponsoring the first season of the Property Development Book Club podcast, which will be out on all platforms soon. Yeah, I think in terms of what, what combination works, um, I still think retail is a very broad um, sector and, and sometimes it's unfairly tarnished altogether. Um, in terms of the relationship between residential and, and retail, I think convenience stores work you know, extremely well. Um, I've had clients um, over the last couple of years um, request that they're looking to invest in convenience stores mm -hmm. and the, the big sell is that it's it's in close proximity to hundreds of residential units um, so those you know leaseholders will be dependent on that convenience store yeah. and so it, it almost guarantees um, footfall for that specific convenience store it's it's usable it's valuable and um, you know I'm a big I'm a big fan of it so uh, long may it continue no I love that and 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 I, and I think I think that that convenience store, a lot of people take it for granted right. because of its size and maybe they always look at the bigger chains, but the smaller chains are still thriving. Um, when businesses were closing, convenience stores, I don't Absolutely. recall many of them closing or failing due to insolvency. Um, but there was a good point raised around Royal Mail, yeah, and Royal Mail being in very residential areas, which could potentially be the foundations of an industrial versus not industrial, but how industrial slash um, logistics and residential can mix together. But that was a very good point raised. But we're not going to go into that. That's possibly for season two. <laughs> but um, Kazim, can I ask, um, have you got any opinions on what you think goes well with um, residential from a use point of view? So personally, I think that people, especially in the urban jungle that we all live in, especially in a place like London, space where you can bring people together is mm -hmm. something that's very important. And so where you could have some sort of, whether it's a community space, I don't know, again, not suggesting that you have like a youth center or something, <laughs> but the space that people can come and essentially just get together and whether that becomes a, whether it's a gym, I think Paul, you mentioned earlier, that that's something that's positive or some sort of cards, some space that people can get together, whatever, whatever that is, whether not so much pubs, but whether people can come together and socialize and it gives them a space as a community to come together and, and, um, and, and be together with whether it's children or, or themselves, I think will be a nice compliment to the residential space. You know what's interesting? This is the most commercial panel we've had. <laughs> and everyone's response very much lends itself to like, the social interaction. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that would be influenced by what the years that we've experienced because of COVID and the need for us wanting to be around friends and neighbours. So I think I really enjoy that. And I, I probably, I totally agree with that. We need more spaces for people to link together. Yeah. That's not a pub. And it could be just a place where you can play cards, as you just mentioned. <laughs> I like that. Um, so over to you, Wyatt. Do you, um, can you just give your views on that? Yeah. Um, I won't be boring and just totally agree with what Kazim said. I've seen examples um, working more recently with 
you know, the build to rent providers. And it's interesting how um, a number of, of them, um, and one in particular who's, who's taken a quite a bold move, which is to, to fit out uh, a lot of their space to a very high standard. Um, uh, and, and it's like that's near enough, like as good as a, a, a private members club, um, where every resident can use can use it as, as they want to. They've still got the gym, but they've also got a quite generous offering, uh, which is open. Certain areas are open twenty four hours, and I think whilst we say it's not commercial, what I do know is that it allows them to then guarantee rents, right, in very very competitive areas where you can have three or four um, um, built to rent competitive schemes um, in, in, in a close proximity. It therefore allows and guarantees near enough um, um, less voids uh, and, and that's key. So whilst it's not commercial in terms of that space, I think quite ingenious in terms of you're sitting there and your neighbour <laughs> comes to visit you in your in your block and sees that the amenity and the spaces that you mm -hmm. have and actually really wants to enjoy it. When it comes to renewal, potentially he's going to now look at your block because you've got those facilities. No, I, I appreciate that because um, I've got um, a friend of mine and he, he, he's he got an apartment in Canary Wolf, yeah? And uh, he's paid a ridiculous amount of money a month for it, yeah? And I said, how is it that living there? And he said the, the engagement and the level of people he deals with in his building yeah. is quite significant. So when you think about what you just mentioned around kitting out, a ground floor area for residents' benefit. Um, so one of the projects I manage is we are trying to make it into a private rented scheme, and I've got a number of them. In short, we've got maybe four or five providers in the local area. One of which is um, what's the big B to build um, built to rent company. I can't remember the name, but they've got a scheme that's got asked underneath it, and they've got a gym and a residence area. Now, when you look at um, that point you mentioned around selection. Mm -hmm. A resident wanting to select somewhere, it's, it's, they don't care if it's new or not. They will care about how is the living experience there from the ground floor. What can I do on the ground floor? Go to my flat, can I bring friends downstairs? Now, my friend mentioned to me that they, in his um, development in Canary Wolf, he said to me that um, he can have a party and it's got a kitchen there that is spectacular. Yeah. So it's quite spectacular. So I feel that um, this whole sharing economy of a concept is now transcending into the real estate industry, I would say. And I think that that is, if I was younger, without children and my two beautiful daughters, yeah, I would love to live in a build-to-rent scheme for the, net, for the network you build and the relationship you can build with others as well. So I, I really appreciate your responses on that. I think we've, we've got some good responses. And there's um, a whole industry, right? It's co-living. There's a whole sector yeah, now. Yeah. Exactly. Come up because of that shared economy, whether you have your room and then you can go downstairs and um, yeah, um, and yeah, in London they continue to grow and I'm sure regionally as well there there schemes that are popping up um, all across the globe. Yeah, no, thanks for that and thanks for um the actual word is co living. There's a lot of good providers. I'm sure we'll leave the link in the bio to a few others or maybe not a few if they want to sponsor this. <laughs> um, but um, I've got two more questions. Um, the next question and this is for everyone or maybe I'll just direct to a few. So I visited the London Museum in West in West India Quay in um, or West India Quay in Canary Wolf and it is found that Canary Wolf was designed with um, commercial and residential because a lot of people feel that commercial um, Canary Wolf was specifically commercial but when you look at the, the London plan over the past 50 years you can clearly see that they've de designated areas for residential as well as commercial. Um, so this question is quite simple. Where do you prefer, Canary Wolf or Wembley? <laughs> um, uh, Canary Wolf? I, I, I don't know 
Wembley at all. I don't know West London at all. So okay. I, I'd say I'd say Canary Wharf. Canary Wharf. Okay. Oh, do you? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I think <laughs> I completely torn. I think I would say Canary Wharf. Um, being on the river to me is like is amazing. But I that's about it. I'm from East London, so it's got to be Canary Wharf. Um, Diversity, Wembley. I mean, it's the biggest stadium, one of the most iconic buildings in the world. Um, you've got plenty of North London universities that are around there as well, and so I think that Wembley is uh, and great transport links too into yeah, wherever you want to go. So, uh, I have to say Wembley. Yeah. Also at East Boy, so I'll say Canary Wharf. Unfortunately, Arsenal aren't making it to Wembley. Um, and I think just just in, in, in from my perspective, I will definitely pick Wembley. I am an East London boy, born and bred. But um, one of the reasons I like Wembley from a mixed use point of view is that you've got um, an attraction, yeah, mm. that is qu- quite significant. You've got residential where people have privacy, and you've got commercial, and that mixes together. So you've got sh- you can work, play and whatever else people do is <laughs> it's got everything you need there whereas when I've gone to Wembley on a weekend it still feels like a place it's not buzzing yeah. whereas Canary Wolf on a weekend yeah. <laughs> okay that's, that's no. what I wanted to add since it's your question yeah was that the vision of Canary Wolf is something I definitely believe in yeah <laughs> so yes the, the the very foundations of which it was developed was was financial financial services led and uh, again, it's a reflection of its times. And it, it, maybe on, on, on reflection, it was um, an oversight not to think about either the night economy mm-hmm. or certain things to do after 5 p.m. Because yeah. certainly, yeah, after your bankers have gone from from working, it, it was it was a dead zone. Mm-hmm. And so, but I believe in its vision now, which is to to, to diversify. And, um, you know, they've got Wood Wolf, which is a, mm-hmm. uh, a development scheme, which is, you know, currently being built out as we speak, which which addresses that issue, which mm-hmm. is the combination of uh, commercial and, and residential districts and kind of fusing them together to to create, you know, a good cocktail. So Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so um, I'm just gonna ask this question before I move on to my final one. All right. Canary Wolf or O2? Why is it what? Well, the O2 still exists. So. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, um, Greenwich Peninsula then. <laughs> uh, but then, then I think the problem with, you know, there, there it's, you know, I, I'd, I'd say um, to go back to this idea of like it's one thing and then it starts becoming something else, you know, somewhere like Stratford that was kind of culturally led, you know, it was about the Olympics and then around Westfield, you know, and then has turned into a more residential area that's providing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, serviced offices, etc. You know, I think those sorts of things really, really work, you know. Um, so I think it's really about it's getting that mix right. Yeah, yeah. So, so what was that then? O two. Uh, uh, I'll stick with I'll stick with I'll stick with Canary Wharf. Yeah, I I would stick. It's the river for me. It's the river. Yeah, I don't think you can compare. So I'm still sticking with Canary Wharf. <laughs> I'll go with Canary Wharf. Still Canary Wharf. Canary Wolf as well. Consensus. Hey. <laughs> um, consensus. I'll go definitely go with Canary Wolf because I think O2, um, I feel that um, from a design point of view, it felt like I was in a movie. You know, like when you go to, um, when you go, like, I don't know if anyone's been to the Warner Brothers 
studios and you go to different forms, it's like the design is so piecemeal. Mm. It's scary how different each character of that area is. Yeah, I think it's different landowners, isn't yeah. it? You know, whereas yeah, some of those correct. bigger developments, yeah. they are one so landowner, one, one, like, or at least they're one planning provider as well. Yeah. So yeah. It's about that like, joined up thinking. All right, we're going to do, do this final grenade. He's got it. Mm. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, or more like. Yeah, that one. So everyone's talking about. Um, so the next, the final grenade is, should the implementation of mixed-use developments be location-dependent, as some locations do not have any commercial or residential appeal? And I mentioned that because I, I work in a, in a regeneration project, and in that, in the new develop, um, the new schemes that we're designing, there is no retail offer, full stop, because there isn't a need for it in that location. So the question is, do you feel that it should be on a location basis, as opposed to it should just be arbitrarily applied to developments? So I'll just very quickly ask who, and then we're just going to go around very quickly. Yes, I think it should because it's. Um, I think both oversupply is a problem, but also undersupply is a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, you start to see places where again piecemeal development lead to there being no corner shops anywhere. Yeah. You know, so I think it does need to be about location based. So, um, I would say yes, but also. Do we have some way of predicted demand? Because you know you're going to build thousand new homes, and so mm -hmm. there will be needs that we can't predict yeah. right now. So, I suppose it's about it goes back to that word flexibility of having spaces that can be maybe converted mm -hmm. as the demand changes. Yeah, no, thank you. And that whole this this also goes back to the question around data, populations, mm -hmm. etc. And the ONS, I think they they should be publishing their new twenty twenty one information in the next year or so within this yeah. year so that maybe might rebase our need for housing as well as commercial as well to some degree so what do you think yeah absolutely it's location dependent um you know let's go back to viabilities when we actually first identify site and determine what type of mix it's going to be we're, we're, we're working out can it actually does it actually stack up does, does do those numbers stack up um both as an investment case and and from a case where you're looking to execute some of your strategies. So there are some places in England, and I won't name them, which um, some specific sectors just don't work for it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so to now say every scheme must adhere to being mixed, um, I think will be a big mistake. Yeah. So um, let's go back to five minutes. So I think everyone, I think generally everyone's agreeing that it should be location yeah, absolutely. Centered. Yeah, yeah I mean, I won't spend too long. It has to be, right? It's kind of what real estate really is. Right. Agreed. So. Agreed. Agreed. Location. Yeah. Location. So I think that in, in summary, I think that this is generally for all of our esteemed planners that put together local plans. I think it's just, this is our view from, um, profession, from a professional point of view around the use of mixed use developments in developments. We just need to be mindful that um, that it should be location specific, and there might be locations that would be more lend itself towards commercial or more uh, a commercial led development versus a more residential led development that may not have commercial. And I think it should be location specific. So today we've explored various topics with these amazing guests. I would like to thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast. This is the Property Development Book Club. It's the greatest podcast out there with the best people. Sponsored by A-Lake. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>